Welcome back to Around the 412. I'm Tyler, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Smitty. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, all of our socials, at Around the 412, and give us a follow wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether that's on Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, anywhere you're listening to this. Also, go subscribe to us on YouTube. We're trying to grow that up and post some shorts on there. And I guess we have a TikTok. I don't think I've ever mentioned that. If you want to follow us on TikTok as well, you can go follow us there at Around the 412. Also, a couple shout-outs to some GoFundMes real quick. First off, we have our Christmas fundraiser. We're only like three to three weeks away, four weeks away. How, how long do we have, Smitty? Uh, I actually haven't set an official. It will be the second full week of December for sure. So whatever that Saturday is will probably be the last day that we take donations. Um, so I would say no, because that's too early. It'll probably be middle of the week of the following week, actually. So I would say so either December 13th or 14th. Yeah. Well, the only reason, too, is like I would love to be able to take donations the whole way up, but I have to know how much money for sure we have to work yeah, with. So right. and be able to yeah. do this stuff. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so we got that going. It's uh Rocket around the 412. It's on GoFundMe. It's our pin tweet on Twitter. You can also go to GoFundMe.com and search it there. Rocking around the 412. And it's the year five of our fundraiser that we've been doing last year alone we raised over ten thousand dollars it would help help 30 kids across 13 different families every cent that gets donated goes to these families whether that is the gifts for these kids and that that can be electronics toys clothes makeup jewelry anything that they want and as well we try to get the families parents a gift card to provide a holiday meal for the family on that Christmas day. And so if you want to go check that out again, that's a pin tweet on our Twitter and it's rocking around the four, one, two at gofundme.com and on the recipient of rocking around the four, one, two another GoFundMe to go towards is Isla Keen's future. Um, we've been pushing this one sadly a few couple months ago, uh, Dalton King passed away and left behind his two year old daughter, but, there's a GoFundMe set up so that way her future is not um, or it can be helped taken care of. And so there's over $33,000 raised so far with Isla King's future GoFundMe, which, but we want to keep pushing that and try to get the word out there for that. So if you want to go to GoFundMe.com, it's Isla King's future, I S L A K E A N E future. And then you can read all about it there. Also, we've tweeted about it. We I know we've put it out on our personal socials as well. So if you just search Isla Keen, I'm sure it will pop up there. Yeah. But I mean, wherever you're watching or listening to this, and that's why it's so great that you are able to include links now in the audio. Oh, yeah. Stuff Didn't even because, say that. Yeah, because that will be in the description. Both of, of those of will be show. in the links in the descriptions. Yeah. Um, which is great. So we appreciate everybody getting involved with that. Uh, also, anybody that donates to Rock Around the 412, we're going to have some prizes. I don't have everything yet, but there's going to be some jerseys, tickets, obviously. It's the same stuff that we get every single year. But uh, you donate at least uh, $10 plus, you'll be eligible to win any of the prizes. So uh, without further ado, we can get into some sports talk. Do, do you want to mention one thing about the Pirates? Um, not typically. We haven't talked about them a ton since the offseason started. Um, that will change as we see some involvement here in free agency, or it could change, I should say. It sounds like I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. But this isn't just like local media and fans talking about this. Like we're talking national media talk about the Pirates are going to be players for some some free agents. Like they're already in the market. We've seen them sign uh, or trade for G-Man Choi. They went out and get Carlos Santana, which is a name a lot of people, if you're a fan of baseball, to be familiar with. Um but they're also in the mix for some other guys like pitchers, Kyle Gibson, a reunion with Jose Quintana has been mentioned. Um, uh, who's the, who's the uh, Boyd, Matt Boyd, who was with the Tigers, had a successful career there, kind of flamed out, but looked like he kind of found himself again in Seattle last year. And a really interesting one, Joey Gallo, they've been linked to a little bit as well, which mm. you want to talk about somebody that could really benefit from the banning of the shift. Joey Gallo is that guy. We're going to be upset yeah. with the strikeouts, obviously, but this guy might put like 15 balls in the river alone next year. Um, so, but we're getting ahead of ourselves here with what they could potentially do. Let's let's talk about one that they actually did do. I mentioned Carlos Santana. Now he is, you know, past his prime. He's in his now. I would say past his mid 30s, getting to closer to later 30s. But he's still a really good hitter, and he's a proven first baseman, really good veteran, and another guy where if you look at the the underlying numbers, should benefit from the banning of the shift. So, what do you think about this move? I think on the surface, a lot of people are just to be like, "Hey, a name that I recognize." 
Yeah, uh, it, definitely. It is a name that people recognize, and kind of like the G-Man Choice signing. It's like a name that people recognize, and coincidentally, they're both first basemen, so that's interesting. Their Pirates are definitely addressing a position of need because they don't really yeah. have it anywhere else in the organization. I, I think it's an interesting signing, and I think that it's good that you have a young team in the Pirates, and a, lo a lot of their core is younger as well. And so I think bringing in some of these veteran guys – can help build the, the culture of what you want for the Pirates moving forward. Um, like guys like G-Man Choi and Carlos Santana, you want to talk about building a playoff baseball. They've been there and they've done that. So I, I think that could be good. Both good literally just last year. Forward. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that could be good for the culture of the team and as well as just addressing a position of need. You don't know where first base is going to come from. So clearly the last two free agent signings, they were addressing that. We don't know if who's going to be the next like prospect to come up and play first base. I know a lot of people wanted it to be Mason. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Mason Martin. Mar Mason Martin. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I apparently that's not going to happen, no matter how many home runs he hits in AAA. But mm -hmm. either way, they're finding their first baseman, and I feel like you, at the very least, you're getting DH help as well. So I, I right. think it's a good signing for the Pirates. Yeah, I think between those two and Miguel and Yahar, the Pirates have kind of tried to fill the first base spot that way so i think that's probably taken care of which that's so nice you know early in the off season for them to identify that as an area of need and address that like that's obviously a step in the right direction for this organization now they can't be done there's obviously a ton of work to still do i'd like to see them sign two starting pitchers not just one i would like to see them you know kind of push jt brubaker who i really like into more of like a, a flex role where he's coming out of the bullpen if he has to start fine, but ideally he's, you know, a middle reliever. Like think about actually my friend Doug Glackie, I brought him up a couple times on here. We might as well just have him on at some point because I, I mentioned him a lot, but he brought up to me um, something that was a really good point. You look at the Pirates teams that went to the playoffs, 13, 14, and 15, and I think a common theme there was obviously the bullpen, but everybody talks about the back end, but you look at the middle relief options that they had on those bullpens too. I mean, if your starter even went five innings, those ball games were over with what they mm -hmm. had. Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't think it would be a bad thing to have, you know, a JT Brubaker at your disposal would come out of the bullpen and work those innings because he's clearly a guy that can be an effective starter. But I'd much rather see him only have to go through guys one time as opposed to having to see an entire order multiple times through. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I think that that's going to be effective with the team because one, one thing that was definitely detrimental for the team as a whole was the bullpen. I, I felt like what, for based off of what expectations could have been with the bullpen. Well, I thought I feel like we thought it was going to be better strength. than it was. Yeah. Yeah. And it turned out to be a pretty bad weakness at times. And so I, I don't mind that idea. And I do think that moving forward, they're going to need to sign some arms, whether that's bullpen or starting pitching, because what they had last year on both ends didn't really get it done. I know they're going to bring some people back, but I, I feel like there's definitely going to be some names out there they can go look and sign. Right. Um, transitioning now, let's talk about the Steelers coming off a win on Monday Night Football. They beat the Colts 24-17 to in this one. Um, you know, outside of the third quarter, whatever the heck happened in that quarter, this is probably the most complete game that we've seen from the Steelers. Um but I, I don't know about you. I thought Kenny Pickett had his best game as a Steeler. Like we keep talking about like his best quarter, his best drive, his best half. Like we've thrown these things around, but like start to finish incorporating all four quarters here. I thought this was his best game that he's had up to date. Yeah. And he didn't even score a touchdown, which is, which is right. crazy to yeah. say that that's his best game, but I think it was, um, he didn't hurt the team as well. He didn't have a turnover. And I know we don't really care for PFF too much. We, we kind of use them whenever I, you it didn't benefits say it. I was us. going to though. Yeah. So. We use it when it benefits us <laughs> and, and we don't like it when it doesn't benefit us, but it's the highest grade for a Steelers quarterback since 2018 with Ben, which is crazy yeah, to think ben. about. It's been that long. Um, so yeah, I think it's definitely a, a much improvement for Kenny himself, but for other areas of the team as well, I, I, I do think it was a really solid game and it was a game that they never really felt out of hand. Like you had that shaky third quarter, but even then I felt like the Steelers were still in, in command of the game as a whole. Um, but I, I, Kenny himself, I think, sure. There was still some plays that you'd like to have back. And like, I know, I know everybody, a lot of people were freaking out about that hot, uh, play where, where Kenny was hot and should have threw it at Mark Farwin's feet or something and he took a sack instead oh. whatever I mean th that that's one of those things I think over time Kenny will learn um but I, I do think overall he had a really good game despite not even scoring a touchdown 
Yeah, he had a couple drops from his receivers in there, too. I mean, he only had eight incompletions in this game, and that's with, obviously, those drops taking place. So he probably could have only had, like, four or five incompletions total. I just thought he had a great command of the offense in this one. Um, Probably no further indicated than by, or no better indicated than by that Benny Snell touchdown is literally his call. Um, Don't know if you saw that, but Mason Cole mentioned after the game that Kenny Pickett is the one that called that play. Now, what was interesting about this to me was talking about it today, he mentioned that he was talking to Mike Tomlin and Mike Sullivan about it. Notice whose name wasn't mentioned in that conversation. <laughs> the offensive coordinator, Matt Canada. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if there's much to read into this. Maybe, you know, people are reading into it too much. Maybe it's nothing. But I thought that was very interesting that, like, his name wasn't mentioned at all with people he was talking about prior to, you know, checking to that at the line of scrimmage. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, and let's just let's switch right there because I, I love the command that Kenny had in the offense for a rookie to make that type of call. It shows how confident he is and for, for his command of the offense. But Benny Snell in this football game had to take on uh, a higher role, obviously, an elevated role with the departure of Najee Harris due to an abdominal injury. We'll see. We'll have to monitor his um, progress throughout the week to see if he's going to be able to go. They said he avoided a major injury, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be able to suit up versus Atlanta. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Benny Snell, I mean, what a performance that we saw from him. The thing is, like, we've seen this in the past. While Benny Snell has shown us, like, he's not going to do this on a regular basis. I don't think he's an RB1. We've seen things like this before, like 2020 opening game against the Giants. James Conner gets hurt. Benny Snell runs for, like, 100 yards in that game. Like, Benny Snell can do this in spurts. I thought him and Anthony McFarland both had really nice performances on Monday night, and they needed it. They needed every yard that those guys were able to provide. But, like, they were able to obviously very different styles of runners, but mm-hmm. they provided some thunder and lightning for the team on Monday night. They did. And and I will say, I remember preseason when we were previewing the offense that I, when we were talking about the run game, I, I, I remember saying like, Benny Smell is going to have the random 100 yard game. Granted, it wasn't 100 yards, but it may as well felt like it the way he was running on Monday night. If he was um, the only back that was getting touches, it would have been. Exactly. And, yeah. and I, I think that was good to see from him, like showing like, Hey, I'm still around. I'm, I can still be productive when, when called upon. Um, so that was good. And then Anthony, Anthony McFarland being uh, activated and having the performance that he did. I yeah. think that's what we wanted to see from Anthony McFarland, which we haven't really gotten to see in game action. We, I mean, we've heard about it in practice and stuff before in, in the preseason, but in a regular season game, we haven't really seen productive running, especially like between the tackles with Anthony McFarlane. But I feel like we were able to see a little bit on Monday night. And so having two guys that are your RB3 and RB4 on the depth chart, having those productive nights. Now, I mean, does the Colts have a great defense? Maybe not, but that doesn't mean that the RB3 and RB4 should be carrying like the ball like that, but they were. And so I still think it was an impressive night on the ground for the Steelers. Yeah, well, what's funny is, like, the Colts are, you know, a top 10 defensive unit where they do get beat. They're, like, middle of the pack against the run, but they're very good against the pass. I mean, you look at some of the defensive backs they have. Um, but even being middle of the pack against the run, you would think a team that, like, the Steelers, based off what they've looked like for the majority of the season, aren't going to have much success on the ground. But you look at the last three weeks. Since the Steelers' bye week, they are fifth in the league in rushing. They are finding success on the ground now. Obviously, give credit to the running backs, but what about the guys up front? I, I think, you know, for as much as we've harped on this offensive line, and while they still have their moments in pass pro, the, the improvement that we've seen in the run game can't just be attributed to the running backs. Those guys deserve credit, too. Yeah, for sure. I, I do think holes are starting to open up, which is nice to see, because I, I think we talked about it early on in the season. This is a lot of offensive linemen that have never played together. They didn't have much chemistry together, and it, it could take throughout the season to kind of find that chemistry and get get a a rhythm going with the offensive line. Maybe you're starting to see that with with the run game moving forward since the, since the bye week. Maybe maybe something's clicked for them, and you started to see a switch. Pass protection they could still be a heck of a lot better. Um, I would I would still prefer that Kenny not get sacked or not have to run out of the pocket run for his life as much as he, as he has. But being able to see the running backs run the way they do, it's not like they're bouncing it to the outside because nothing's open in the middle. They're, they're hitting the holes, and the holes are there. So that's on the offensive line as well. Um, so it's, it's very productive with the offense running the ball right now. I do want to see more of that in the, pe- in the passing game. The passing game hasn't been terrible, but I feel like the passing game more so than the run game, it, it's kind of like the opposite, how the run game, the running backs and the running – and the offensive line are working together 
everything in the past game seems to be working against each other at times. Like sometimes Kenny's throwing the ball well, but he has no time because of the offensive line or he's getting drops or wide receivers can be open, but Kennedy doesn't make the throw. It just seems to be not clicking in the past game like it is in the run game so far in the past few weeks. So hopefully they can clean that up moving into Atlanta, but the run game overall, great to see. Yeah. I mean, the thing is too, don't get me wrong. I still would love, I, I still think tackle is probably where I'm going if the draft is tomorrow, assuming that like one of these guys that we talked about. Your boy's not, he, but your boy's yeah, going back to Penn State. Olufashanu is going back. So, but ideally, if like, if Paris is there, if Skaronsky's there, like one of those two would be, I think, a great yeah. fit. What I, I'm afraid of happening is that the Steelers with the back half of their schedule is going to play themselves out of a tackle spot in, very in terms of draft slot. Because, with, especially with Fashanu being out of this draft, at least on this, it looks like the it, other two are probably going to get over. The other two are going to get a bump, and and yeah. so where you're looking at drafting them, I don't know. Scronzi probably back end of the top ten, maybe same thing with Paris, depending on the pre-draft stuff that that happens. Maybe maybe ten to twelve as well. But I think the Steelers could finish anywhere between ten to like 15, 16, depending on how this back half of the schedule finishes out. So mm-hmm. they might be playing themselves out of a tackle spot if they continue to win games, which we want to see, but also could hurt their chances of getting one of those top tackles as well. Right. Yeah. And then we can start having the conversation about Joey Porter Jr. instead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's <laughs> where I, I actually had a conversation on Twitter today. It's like, where where do I realistically think the Steelers could take him? I said, if the Steelers are anywhere between 12 to 15 and one of those two, couple tackles are gone, then I would definitely look at taking Joey Porter Jr. Yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting, I wanted to turn back to the offensive line real quick because we mentioned the lack of, you know, reps that they had gotten together. Like these things take time. I think that's probably the one downside. And Marquise Pouncey was on uh, Football and with Ben Roethlisberger, his podcast. They did a live stream during the Monday night game. We're talking about this. And Pouncey was talking about it. That's like, that's why he never really agreed with bringing in new offensive linemen like via free agency because. Those guys are probably already established and kind of set in their ways, but also just like it takes so much time to build chemistry with one another. And you're bringing in an outsider into guys that have played together probably for, you know, a little bit. And not only did the Steelers bring in one, they brought in two outside free agents on this offensive line that are starting right now. So it's going to take time, obviously, but it's definitely nice to see that at least in the run game, they've, they've seemed to find some solutions here and, uh, they're figuring things out. Like prior to get Najee getting hurt, Najee had really found his game in the last couple of weeks too. Even in this game, he scored a touchdown before he got hurt. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. And they now with Najee being, he he's going to have his reps obviously cut back this week. Jalen Warren, who missed this Monday night game, and that's why Benny Snell and Anthony McFarlane had the roles they did. It sounds like he's going to be back. I guess the question that I want to pose to you, I was talking to Drew and Joe about this. Say Jalen Warren does come back. Do you think that it's any? there's any chance that like, the Steelers still, they saw enough on Monday night where it's like Benny Snell even ends up being the lead guy and Jalen Warren just kind of keeps the same role that he's had. I think they definitely could because I I think while Najee is, how do I want to say this? And I might sound stupid saying this. <laughs> I think Benny Snell is closer to what you get in the run game from Najee Harris, if that makes sense, or that's what I'm thinking, or the style of running that, that I'm thinking of. Well, I think Jalen Warren provides a, a different element than what Najee does. And I'm not saying Benny Snell is Najee Harris, but I think it's a closer uh, comp to the, the style that they run. So if you want that power football style, then maybe you do give Benny Snell, especially off the performance he had, the major- the bulk of the carries and, and leave Jalen Warren in that uh, third down back, receiving back, which I, I liked seeing him in um, type of role. I, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think this means, especially, I mean, Jalen Warren's coming off injury as well. Do you really want to rush him back to give him the ball for the carries too? You know, those soft yeah. tissue things are. Exactly. It's an awkward injury. And so do you really want to go and give him the ball like 15, 20 times this game? No, probably not. I, I think you're you're going to see some uh, running back by committee for sure. Now, whether what which one gets a majority, I don't really know. Um, do, do we know if, if Najee's going to even play this upcoming Sunday? 
Well, that's the thing. You know, we're recording on Wednesday, which is tough because Wednesday is the day of practice where if anybody's dealing with anything, they're probably either limited or not practicing. So right. he's dealing with abdominal injury. Don't know necessarily what that means either because that could be oblique. That could be like even a, a hernia thing. Like, I don't know what the issue is. Um, they say it's not something that they think will impact him long term. But again, that again, what's long term? Because long term, yeah. that, that could mean like the rest of the season or to to some people that could mean like two to three weeks. I don't yeah. I, like when I hear it won't impact him long term. To me, that still means he could be out for like a week or a week or two. I wouldn't right. consider two weeks long term. So no. I don't I don't know. It just depends on what the Steelers are thinking. Yeah, I just w- with Najee specifically, like you look at how bad that injury looked. Was it against Cincinnati week one where it's like it looked like he got like really bent at the bottom yeah. of a pile and he and he's holding his knee and you're just like, oh, man, and he plays the next week. Like didn't miss any time. The mm-hmm. dude's just he's like Gumby. He doesn't get hurt. So it's for me right now hard to envision that he's not going to play like but I we'll right. have to monitor Thursday and Friday's practice um but even if he does go like with with the performances that they saw from the other three or the other two guys and what they've seen from Jalen Warren prior to that it's hard to believe he's going to see anywhere near his normal workload in that game so mm-hmm. i don't know at that point what's the like give him a week off yeah i mean i would especially the falcons lesser opponent and gets you prepared before you play they play the Ravens after the Falcons right yeah so divisional game I, I I think it'd be smart if if you're debating if you're on the fence of him playing or not playing in those situations I always say sit the player there's no need for them to play yeah if you look at their um upcoming schedule obviously Atlanta is part of the equation Atlanta Baltimore Carolina uh, Vegas, Baltimore, Cleveland to finish the season. Yeah. Uh, and that, yeah that's <laughs> dude. That's what that's, I'm saying. Like it's a favorable schedule. Like had mm-hmm. they, I'm not, I'm not going to have any conversations about them getting back into the mix, being in attention for anything like that. If they somehow, you know, do that themselves by running a, a string of games off here, then we'll start having those conversations on here. But had they beaten Cincinnati, I think we'd be having a different conversation. Oh yeah, for sure. But I still think the conversation still still stands that we we said last week. Like, I think this team could very well go. Well, what would it be now? Five and one. There's six games left. They could go five and one and still have a winning schedule. But like you said, you could also see them going like one yeah. and five over that stretch mm-hmm. as well. Like it, it's very reasonable either way. Um, but th- this is an opportunity for the Steelers to be able to grow as a football team. And I think this is a very favorable schedule. When I think about the quarterback specifically with Kenny Pickett, when he got thrown into the mix, that couldn't have been a worse time in terms of the teams you were playing and the strength of schedule that you were putting him against right at the start. I mean, he did get to play the back half of the half the Jets game, but then after Mm -hmm. that, he played the Bills, Bucks, which he got hurt in the Bucks game. Um, Dolphins and Eagles. I, I don't think there was a tougher stretch on the schedule that you could have thrown him into the fire for. Now, granted, you still have to play Baltimore twice, but outside of those games, I don't think that this back half of the schedule is that hard, especially looking at the non-conference or not non-divisional games, specifically Falcons, Panthers, Raiders. I mean, those those teams stink right now. So you definitely have some very winnable games. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do and seeing how they can improve moving forward. Um, question I wanted to ask you that I was actually thinking about watching on Monday night, and it's involving Kenny Pickett. So, obviously, I think right now, Deontay Johnson is still wide receiver one in Pittsburgh. But this is a little bit different of a question. Even though Deontay Johnson is wide receiver one, who do you think Kenny's number one target is i know i know deontay had more catches but who do you think kenny is looking to find on the field pickens or deontay oh okay so it's only because part of me wants to say firemuth like i feel like that's when he needs a play like a safety okay. valve he's going to pat um between those two, I, I've said, like, I think that it ends up being Pickens. Like, I just think that's who he's going to build the best rapport with. Not saying that he's not going to build some type of chemistry with Deontay Johnson. I've actually, I mean, if you remember, 
I originally said that I thought it'd be Deontay Johnson just due to the similar skill set to what he worked with best in Jordan Addison at Pitt. Yeah. Um, but I, I just watching the games, um, it looks like a lot of the times, you know, going through progression, his first read is George. And I don't know. I don't know what it is because like you said, it's still, you look at the end of the day, you look at the box door, Deontay has more catches. He has more targets. It just seems like that's kind of the underneath stuff. It's almost like Deontay is becoming a non-physical version of Juju with a low A dot. Like he he's getting yeah. stuck in this terrible offense as being that guy. Um, so I think Pickens is running the more valuable routes. Uh, I think he's running the bigger splash play routes. He's running the routes that are going to benefit the team most. Like I, I just I think yeah. that he ends up being uh, Pickett's number one option between those two. But honestly, I like I said, one the moment that Claypool was traded, um, I, I really think like Fryermuth is the guy that ends up coming out of this as Kenny's guy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I I think I think that. They have a good connection, but just speaking into the wide receivers, as of right now, I still think Deontay is the number one receiver um, on the Steelers. That maybe that could change over the next like couple seasons. It could turn into George Pickens. I mean, heck, by the end of the season, we could be saying George Pickens is the number one receiver in Pittsburgh. Who knows? But mm-hmm. I, I just have the feeling when whenever Kenny's looking at wide receiver routes, his I feel like he's looking for George first, but he's not open. But Deontay is on the. The but Deontay's always going to be e- easier routes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but it's not as like pushing the ball down the field, and so it's easier for Kenny to get Deontay the ball, so he's going to get more targets and, and catches. But I, I I just have the feeling, and maybe people that actually like watch this film intently can like prove this that like he's looking George's way first every single time. It feels like. Yeah, that's actually something I, I'm going to start paying attention to. To try to see. Um, I want to flip before we give a prediction on this Falcons game to the other side of the football to talk about one guy in particular, friend of the show, been on multiple times. Also, shout out to his dad. The shout out this week that I want to give is to Alex Highsmith. He's now crossed double digit sacks. That's something that he set as a goal this season. Crossed it, and he's going to go well beyond that, obviously, with how many weeks of football are left. Um, but what a season he's put together. Obviously, like anybody that's playing on the opposite side of TJ Watt is going to benefit. We've seen it in the past, but to this level, I mean, I don't, I'm like, I feel like saying that he's benefiting from TJ Watt would almost be taken away from him. And that's absolutely not what I want to do. Like, he has done a lot of this on his own. He's worked his butt off to get to this point. Um, but he was literally the closer for the Steelers in this football game. You look at that final drive. Strip sack, obviously Matt Ryan is able to recover the fumble, but strip sack, um, second down kind of blows up the play. Third down stops the Jonathan Taylor run. And then on fourth down pushes Matt Ryan out of the pocket for an incompletion, and that ends the game. Like Alex Highsmith literally took over the final drive of this football game and ended it himself. Yeah. No, I think he's played great. I mean, I, I he maybe he didn't have the the numbers totals that he had wanted to whenever there were the stretch of games, whenever TJ was out. But I think overall as a season, he's had his best season as a Steeler. He's turning into the pass rusher that we wanted whenever we drafted him. And I, I think he's shutting a lot of people up that said he needed to step up and, and perform better. And I, I think that, like you said, it's not taking away from Alex, or at least I don't want it to be taking away from Alex is saying like he's benefiting from TJ Watt being on the field as well. But I just think the the combination of both of them is, right. is great. I, I'm not saying that he's like Bud Dupree level yet, but it, it's it's kind of closer to having two edge rushers like that instead of just the one. And, and I, I think that's great for Alex, especially friend of the show. You know, twice or three times. I think honestly, I think that he's. I mean, I'll say it. I think he should be in the Pro Bowl this year. I think him and Minka right now, if you're asking me what Steelers should be in the Pro Bowl, those are the two I'm saying should be in the Pro Bowl. Interesting. Hmm. I mean, obvi- obviously. Like totals. Um, so Matthew Judon, the last time I looked, was the leader. Uh, where is Sax? Right here. Yeah, Judon still has, he has 13. He leads. Parsons has 12. Nick Bosa has 11 and a half. Crosby has 10 and a half. And then High Smith, Miles Garrett, Chris Jones, and Brian Burns all have 10. Dude, imagine paying Miles Garrett to have the same amount of but, sacks as Alex Highsmith. 
but in the AFC, in the AFC, it's Judon Crosby and then Highsmith. Yeah. Yeah, it's been really impressive. Um, that's some really good names to be with. I mean, throwing Miles Garrett in there as well, Chris Jones. I mean, those those are guys you want to to be uh, on the same level as as a player. So I, I I think Alex Highsmith has definitely stepped up this game this this year, turned into a really nice pass rusher. We're talking about the sack totals, but I think he's taken the next step as a run defender too, and that's so important um, yeah. for these edge defenders to set that edge and be able to seal that. Um, but yeah, obviously the, the overall development has been great. Um, he's, he's in line to get paid, you know, it's crazy that we're already talking about it, but he's in year three and he wasn't a first round pick. So next year will be the last year of his rookie deal. And whether it's in Pittsburgh, you know, we'd love to see it be, but if it's, whether it's in Pittsburgh or somewhere else, he's going to get a lot of money as an edge defender. That's putting together the body of work that he has. So, yeah, uh, that's been great to see. I don't know that there's really, oh, James Pierre. I feel like we should give a little bit of a shout out to had an interception in this game. I want to say that is a nice adjustment that the Steelers made. I was calling for it to happen against Cincinnati and they wouldn't do it for whatever reason. Um, but moving James Pierre, putting him back onto the field outside. Um, so you didn't have Sutton and Levi Wallace as the outside guys with Arthur Millette inside. Just play James Pierre on the boundary. I mean, he can definitely hold his own. We've seen it. Two straight weeks of playing zero snaps. He plays uh, forty some forty nine percent or forty seven percent of the snaps in this one. So obviously got on the field quite a bit, um, but definitely deserves a shout out. Picked off Matt Ryan on the second play of the game for the Colts. So not really, you know, anybody else to highlight on the defensive side. I don't think. Um, I mean, obviously they played an overall pretty good game, but nobody necessarily stood out to me other than what Highsmith did on that final drive and James Pierre getting a pick. Yeah, I I think I think so as well. All right, Falcons game. Yeah, I think the Steelers won this one. Um, I'll start by saying that I don't think Atlanta has enough on either side of the football. Um, I I've liked what I've started to see, and this is very cautiously. I'm saying this. I've liked what I've started to see a little bit from the Steelers' offense. Not saying that like Matt Canada saving his job or they're all of a sudden going to put up 40 points, but I think that they they have enough there to to beat this Atlanta defense. That I mean, still... it's back to back weeks of 20 plus, which is uh something they couldn't right. say before. Right. Um, I think that they have enough on the offensive side of the football, just talent wise, um, to put up enough points on Atlanta, who does have AJ Terrell back now, um, but they still don't have Casey Hayward. Um, there's just not enough talent on that side of the football for Atlanta. And then you flip it and look at what the Steelers have defensively versus Atlanta's offense. I know Cordero Patterson came back. Uh, I am actually worried about their kick coverage unit against Cordero Patterson. Got to make sure he doesn't return one to the house. Um, but that is honestly, to me, like the scariest part of Atlanta's team at this point is just make sure they don't return a kick. Uh, I don't trust Marcus Mariota to do anything. Obviously, no Kyle Pitts, not that they were utilizing him anyway. Um the Falcons do have a nice little running back trio. They've all been effective. Cordero Patterson, Tyler Algier, and uh Huntley. But yeah. I, I just I don't see it. There's not enough. They don't they don't have enough talent. It, it, they were over exceeding expectations the way they played through the first ten or so weeks, but we're seeing the true Falcons, I think, these last few weeks. Yeah, and I, I think that the Steelers run defense is going to uh hold, be able to hold those guys that that's the most effective part of their offense i don't think they're going to utilize it well outside of drake london you basically have me and you as wide receivers on the, the falcons so i i feel like the steelers defense is going to have a day as far as the predictions go i, I realize I that's a score yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I i think the steelers actually win this game as well i know the line on it is i think two and a half to the falcons um but i i think the steelers are going to win by more than three points I, I think that you're going to be looking at i'm say 24 to 13 as a final score i'm gonna say 31 26 a little bit of a weird number with that 26 but i think that atlanta's gonna have to go for two on a touchdown and they don't get it okay but the steelers like, like uh, score 31 their highest. <sighs> I, I not not necessarily garbage time but they're gonna be down by 11 and then they're gonna end score of the game in the, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, okay. And moving on to the Penguins. Uh, wasn't when I woke up today. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Was there Sarge's notes? No. Monday Night Football didn't do them. Well, he didn't do them and they won again. Right. It's a trend. This isn't yeah. a coincidence anymore. <laughs> so that I means he, he better just turn off his phone during the game and not write down anything. Exactly. 
Uh, but no, no Sergeant Steeler's notes. Um, when I woke up this morning and knew we were going to be doing a show, I wasn't expecting to have to talk about what we're going to talk about first, which is Chris Letang is now out indefinitely due to having a second stroke. Uh, he had one in 2014, which when they went in and realized he has a hole in the, the wall of his heart, which everybody has, it's but it normally closes. So he obviously still has that. That's something he has to live with and deal with. Um, it's just, it's it's so crazy to to read this, you know, to, to, to take a step back for a second and read about it and realize, like, first off, how obviously precious life is because this could have gone very differently. We could be having a very different conversation. Um, but the fact that it was just because he called the team doctor because he was having a headache and they told him to go to the hospital mm -hmm. and they were like, yeah, you had a stroke. Yeah. And like then for the next day, him to just be back and be with the team and at the game and, and in the locker room with them. It's it's insane to, to to read about this and think about like in the grand scheme of things, how fortunate he was to to know his own body enough to be like something's off here and to get to the hospital right away and them to to catch this and be able to to do what they did and start treating him and running these tests and making sure there's nothing you know further that needs to be done and everything's going to be good long term with him and stuff like that because this doesn't sound like it's going to be career threatening i have no idea how much time he's going to miss i have no idea if in the back I, I can't have, i think if he were having a conversation about his hockey future we'd probably know that already it sounds like he was trying to already return to practice <laughs> from what i heard so uh, I think he's chomping at the bit to get back, but let's slow the brakes here, bub. Um, obviously, your health comes first. You're a father now. You're a husband now. You're obviously a son before you're a hockey player. Um, but it's we got very fortunate news after what we saw was a very scary headline. So obviously, all the best to Chris Letang and his family. Can't wait to see him back on the ice if he chooses to do so. Um, but for somebody that went through this same thing eight years ago, it was obviously a very devastating thing to to read when I first saw it. Yeah, I'll be honest. When I first saw it, I thought it was fake. I mm. I, I thought and, and, until yeah, until I realized it said the official under the tweet like they do now with with the yeah. actual official things because everybody can have a blue check mark now. Uh, I, I thought it was fake at first, but then I realized it was real, and then. I, I feel more assured. I'm sure I, I'm saying that I'm sure he feels more assured knowing that it may sounds like it wasn't as bad as the one in 2014 was where he was sidelined yeah. for a couple months. Um, Ten weeks. Yeah. So th this one, I, we don't know when he's going to get back onto the ice, but it is great to see that it seems like he's in good spirits after it. And it seems like uh, moving forward, it's not going to, it d doesn't seem like it's going to have any long-term effects. Now, like I said, when we don't know how long he's going to be out. That could be a few games. It could be a few weeks. Who knows? I, I, if I'm if I'm me telling Chris Letang, take your time. Don't do anything uh, early. I know he's probably going to want to, but I feel like the team doctors and with like UPMC and everything with the Penguins, they're smart enough to know like, hey, Chris, wait, let's take a chill pill. We can we can settle down. You don't need to rush back. Um, but they, of course, he and they know his body better than everybody else does. So. It is crazy to see that he had a second stroke. Um, it's it's hard to believe a professional athlete of having having a first one. Let, I mean, let alone anybody having a stroke. But just those guys seem immortal at times. But then, oh, especially for like him, this, the you know the yeah. cardio king of the team. Exactly, and it, it it seems like nothing can go wrong with them physically. I mean, outside of like sports injuries, but like you never think of like a stroke as being a possibility for a professional athlete. Well, Latang has had two now. Um, just luckily it hasn't affected him in his life or his career so far. And it doesn't seem like it's going to moving forward. So that's good. But yeah, it's crazy news. Uh, the day of we're recording, I'm, and I'm happy, <laughs> I'm happy that we didn't record last night so that we can talk about it now. Cause that would have sucked to have to just kind of sit on it for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, yesterday it comes out, you know, not on the ice during warmups out with an illness. And then you're just thinking, okay, like we know a bug was going around earlier. Like he has a flu or something. It's, like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the time of year that it is right now, basically all the time of year now, you know, since 2020, really, you could see guys pop up and miss time due to illness. So, COVID or not, it just it didn't surprise me that he was missing a game due to an illness. And then this comes out today and it's like, wow, 
I mean, you just feel like just, I don't even, you're shocked. And obviously nobody yeah. really knows the ins and outs of these things. Like we're not doctors. We have no clue, uh, you know, what this means for him. Like it, it, people were texting me like, oh, do you think this could be it? Like, does he call it a career? And I'm, I, I have no clue. Like, I, I don't know how this affects him. Like, but yeah, we're not qualified like, to say my gut yeah. reaction is no, but right. it's not like we have any idea what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, I hate to even have this conversation, but flipping Chris Letang's absence to a hockey conversation because it's kind of what we have to do. Um, yeah. We saw the lineup that they went with against Carolina. I thought those guys were, you know, fine defensively. They did spend a lot of time in their own zone, um, but they they were keeping Carolina to the outside for the most part. They got a ton of shots on goal, but they weren't necessarily a ton of quality looks. I thought their best looks actually came while they were shorthanded. Surprise, surprise. Penguins give up two two on O breakaways while uh, while a man up. But um, who to you one steps up in Chris Letang's absence, and two is it you know do we see Ty Smith come up? Do we see is it just Mark Friedman as the seventh defenseman, and we see the six that played yesterday be the ones that we see going forward? You know, I what, what, what I didn't know we were going to mention Ty Smith because Ty Smith realistically can only be brought up if someone's on LTIR. So mm-hmm. depending on how long Latang's out, like if it's just going to be a couple weeks, he's not going to go on LTIR. So I don't even know if that will be a possibility. And the way that it's sounding like it is now, granted, like we said, we know nothing, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be a long-term thing for Latang. So... I don't. I wouldn't think Ty Smith's probably in the cards for this team. But in terms of people stepping up, um, you know, I'm trying to think of somebody who can relate to the game of Chris Letang. And realistically, nobody on this team can relate to that. But I, I, I can see someone like POJ stepping up to, to in in that role. That's that's mm-hmm. probably the guy that, while he's not a Chris Letang s type player, someone that I can think fill in some of the roles that Chris Letang does. I, I think that he could definitely step up in an absence like that. Now, wasn't Dumoulin on the top pairing again with, with Petrie in this last game? Yes. Why are we why are we throwing that up there again? If you're going to put – honestly, if you're going to put POJ with Jan Ruda, I'd rather just have them as the top pairing and it's instead of P, uh, having Dumoulin up on the top pairing just because I don't want Dumoulin playing those minutes. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I, I want, I would rather have Ruda and POJ playing those minutes. Petrie, fine, whatever, but Dumoulin still shelter him. But in terms of someone stepping up, I, I think someone that could benefit from this and uh, benefit sounds like a weird word to say when somebody has a stroke and is out, but someone that could benefit from the absence of Latang on the ice that can elevate their game to me is POJ. Yeah. I mean, from a production standpoint, I mean, it's going to have to be Jeff Petrie. He's really the only guy that's going to be given that opportunity, I feel like, you know, on the yep. power play, which hopefully they can find some semblance here in the near future of a power play. Um, but obviously playing those top minutes on the right side, he's going to be asked to carry a lot of the weight in Chris Letang's absence, I would think. But I, I do like the POJ pick for somebody to step up. I mean, I think he's having kind of a, a campaign here to prove that he is an NHL defenseman and belongs here. Uh, I think he has the looks of a top four guy. Um, right now, obviously, you said he's playing uh, on the third pairing. It is what it is. Marcus Pedersen, he is what he is. Like I don't necessarily think he's going to all of a sudden be able to contribute a ton offensively. They just this is where you miss, uh, and I know he's been hurt from Montreal. This is where you miss having on Mike Matheson, I think, because of what he could yeah. provide offensively. And obviously, Jeff Petrie hasn't returned what you would hope for uh, on either end of the ice. But like definitely, and that's why I do think you make, pretty, miss a Matheson. Yeah, is because of the the production you've gotten from Petrie. It's not like a repli- replication of what Matheson could have done or what Latang, or a portion of what Latang could have done. You haven't really gotten that side of Petrie yet as a Penguin, and so I think that's part of the reason you also do miss Matheson, especially because that's the trade for for Petrie was Matheson in return. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk about the stretch of games. I just mentioned that loss to the Canes, which came in overtime. Which, by the way. I mean, that's a tough way to lose when you have Brian Rust to check from behind <laughs> the doing? boards and yeah, Brian Rust gets checked into the boards and it's just, you know, Petrie goes after the guy that hit him. And I don't know where Jeff Carter was on the ice to begin with when that play started at that point, but uh-huh. you know, Carolina comes down on a two on O and it's game over at that point. They don't call a yeah. penalty on what should have been 
Um, so no idea what the refs were doing, but also like I know I I can respect Jeff Petrie wanting to stand up for his guy, but if they're not gonna blow the whistle, you gotta play hockey. Like you can't just let Carolina right. go down the other end of the ice. <laughs> un- Especially three on three. No one no one's back yeah. there covering for you. Mm-hmm. So I I mean, and even before like just watching that whole play unfold the way it did, like Russ gets boarded in, into the Oh yeah, I have no clue what Russ wall, was even doing. But it's like I have boarded. no idea what they were doing. Like it, it kind of looked like he was trying to do a line change with the puck. <laughs> it, 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 yeah. it, it made no sense to me. And so watching it unfold and then seeing it create a two on O, I'm like, well, that looked like something that would create a two on O as I was watching it, despite mm-hmm. him getting boarded or not. Um, at first I thought Jari saved it until they started I celebrating. Yeah. But yeah, that was just an unfortunate way to lose, especially being able to come back late in that game, in the third period Against that team too. I mean, it's a division opponent, that but it's a really good so... hockey team, and it's it is a good litmus, litmus test to see like where you stand against some really good teams. It, it stinks that they weren't able to capitalize that on that uh, on the overtime and get the extra point, but just a just an odd way to lose. Like the whole play, should they call the penalty? Sure, but what the hell were the Penguins doing in the first place? Yeah, because if it's a clean hit, that result is still happening. Right. <laughs> like, so, but I, yeah, I have no clue what they were doing. But anyway, I, I kind of look at it like they were fortunate to get a point. Uh, Carolina, the Penguins started out well in this game. Obviously, they get the first goal off Crosby's stick. Um, they carried play Naturally. a little bit to begin, but then Carolina settled in and they were just, the Pittsburgh didn't get anything until, you know, two and a half minutes left or whatever, two minutes left when they tied the game. Um, Carolina played the the perfect defensive hockey game pretty much, and they still, you know, the Penguins are still able to get a point. So I kind of looked at it like a silver lining that way. Uh, you looked at the yeah. the, all, the rest of the stretch of games, um, kind of working backwards here at this point. They lost to the Leafs um, in what was their worst game in the stretch, like by far. They just had nothing on this night. Um, uh, Ricard Raquel scores the only goal, and it was when they were already down three nothing. And then the Leafs answered pretty shortly after that too. So at no point in this game did the Penguins threaten to win. Uh, the Leafs had you know their number in this one. Um, really, nothing for, for me to take away. Like none of the four lines were really generating anything. The defense well, I, didn't I, play I, well. I told you, it was like was as good, far but... as that game goes, I didn't even watch it because I was hanging out with Kennedy's family. So yeah. I, <laughs> I I don't really have dominated much to on that shots game either. Just seemed like they got outplayed. Look, looking at the like, just like the box score and stats of the game, just looked like they got outplayed in every facet of the game. Well, it starts off uh, very early. One of the worst line changes I've ever seen in my life. And Crosby, like I thought, broke his foot kicking the boards afterwards. Um, I I don't know what they were doing. They, like the puck was at center ice basically, and they go for a full line change. Mitch Marner comes in on a breakaway and scores. But then Crosby goes to the locker room, comes back, and then goes to the locker room again. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, it was obviously a skate issue. I hate that Crosby, you know, still is the way he is with the skates. He's in like the Stone Age um, because he has to go to the locker room instead of just repl- like flipping the, the blade off and putting a new, popping a new one on. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you get a little bit worried there. But anyway, they, they had a v- bunch of flaws in this game, and the Leafs took advantage of seeming like every single time. Um, Really good wins, though, against the Flames and Flyers, especially, I mean, they dominated the Flyers, obviously. That's not a good hockey team with all the injuries that they have right now. Yeah, even healthy, they're not a very good hockey team. But with all the injuries they have on top of that, man, that's a a really rough team right now. Um, But to win against the Flames, the Flames are actually the team that I picked to come out of the Western Conference this year uh, to represent the Western Conference and the Stanley Cup. I just think they have pretty much everything you want. The problem with that team right now is uh, Markstrom has not played well, and we didn't even see him in this game. We saw Dan Vladar, and he was actually standing on his head. So the Penguins win this game in a shootout uh, where both goalies, after standing on their heads in regulation and overtime, weren't able to make saves in a shootout. Uh, They exerted all their energy. Um, But how fitting for Geno to be the one to score the the shootout game winner as well. Yeah, and seeing them be able to celebrate that thousandth game, it's a shame it couldn't have been at home. But the, the way that they they even warmed up like Gino doing his like funky stretches and everything like that, it was really funny to see everyone wearing the 71 jerseys and, and to cap it off the way that they did getting that that shootout goal to win. I mean, the only thing better would have been an OT winner from Gino, in my opinion. But even the, even then, a shootout, I'll take it. And it was a beauty of a goal. 
really poetic the way the way that it ended out. Of course, it was going to be Gino to win it. Everybody knew it was going to be Gino to win it, and that's just the way it is. Um, but yeah, that was that was a lot of fun to see. And then the Flyers game, like I said, I didn't really get catch like the Friday or Saturday games, but I did watch a little bit of the Flyers game um, when I was hanging That'd out. That would have been a little bit two thirty your time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I I was able to catch a little bit of it, um, but just total dominance from the team. I thought the team looked really good against the Flyers. Granted, it's not a good team, but it's always really good to see the Flyers or, or the Penguins beat the Flyers like that and seeing Crosby score against the Flyers, as he seems to always do, it, it feels like. Uh, and that was an insane redirection, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, he's he's had an unreal stretch, I feel like. 35 years old and still going strong. I mean, he's he's definitely – one of the best players in the league still, but I think points wise this year, he's, he's like top like seven, top eight. And mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, it's him and a bunch of young kids. Like <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what it is. You had a little bit of a lull there. Um, and then they make the switch swapping Raquel and rust. And that's obviously Sid just went right back to producing at the, the totals that he was. So yeah, on pace for well over a hundred points this year, um, at 35 years old when every single year people are going to question if he still have it. Naturally. Here he is. I want to see NHL points leaders. I just want to see like who he's around. Um, Cause I feel like it's just, it's literally just him and a bunch of young kids. Yep. All right. So Sid has 31 points and the people above him. Oh, wow. Actually surprising. I guess not surprising if this was 2017, but it is surprising in 2022. Eric Carlson has 32 points and is sixth in the league. Um, he, he's tied with David Pasternak in points. Yeah, so it's it's a little surprising, especially being on the Sharks. Um, but a, again, ahead of that is uh, Drysaddle, Kucherov. Those guys are definitely going to be there all the time. But then Jason Robinson from Dallas, he's having a really mm. good year. That's a really good player. Yeah. He, and they and they paid him too this off season. There's like six point something per on a six year deal. That's a really good deal for them. And then, of course, Connor McDavid, 39 points in 22 games. Dude's a stud. But, yeah, it, 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 Sidney Crosby at 35 years old still has it. It's still going strong. So it's it's great to see him playing at this level still. What is that, 30, 31 points in 23 games? I know we're just kind of like rambling, rambling about Sid right now, but I just want to keep <laughs> bragging about him. Um, but over, over an 82-game pace, which Sid hasn't missed a game, has he? I think he's played in all, all 23 games so far. Um, that's a 110 point pace. So, or 110, 111, if you want to round up. So, the fact that he's 35 years old and can still play at that pace, it's great to see. Yeah. Uh, players that have played in all 23 games for the Penguins so far Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Ricard Raquel, Jeff Petrie, Marcus Pedersen, Brian Rust, Brock McGinn, Ryan Paling, Jan Ruda, and Brian Dumoulin. Why'd you say Ryan Paling like that? You sound a little disgusted. No, I mean, shout out to him. I think he's had a pretty nice season on the yeah, fourth line. Yeah, he's had a couple goals line, in the last couple games. The fourth line has really found themselves once Teddy Bluger came back. Like, he changed everything for the PK, and he changed everything for the fourth line, who is better than the third line, so we might as well call him the third line. Uh, yeah. But, like, Archibald, you know, has, I think, outperformed what we expected, which if he would have scored, like, one goal, that would have been outperformed what I thought. But um, but Ryan Paling's been a nice addition. I'm just surprised that he's somebody like those fourth liners could always be guys that are in and out of the lineup because you have, you know, so many guys that are bottom six options. So to see him right. playing all 23 games, I think is just kind of a testament to, to how Solomon feels about him. The other thing is too, like he's played center and wing, like he's given that versatility. Yeah. yeah and that's something that Sullivan definitely likes. So it's no wonder that he's kept in the lineup. Yeah, it was actually, we saw Kapanen, actually to end the show, we thought about this real quick, we saw Kapanen work his way back into the lineup for Danton Heinen, who obviously got off to a great start this year. Um, we know we know it's in there. Uh, we, we saw it at the beginning of the year when he was playing with better teammates. I think it's just a product of playing with Carter and McGinn, uh, but Heinen yeah. hasn't scored in 17 games, so Kapanen draws in for him. I think the other thing, too, not to say that Hannon, Hannon, Heinen isn't at fault here, because um, he's only taken more than one shot in like three of those games or something like that, Danny was saying. So he's certainly to blame for his goal scoring drought too. But yeah, to go 17 games without scoring a goal, it's no wonder they they tried something that was Captain's way of working back in the lineup. He almost scored on a like turnaround goal where he just whipped it right at the goalie's pad. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, he shows flashes of, of his speed and he can show taste that every once in a while. He'll create an opportunity, but it's just, it's with no consistency and there's nothing else to his game. They're just trying to showcase a little bit of work to maybe get some value to get a trade going, <sighs> the hockey trade. Because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, $3.25 million sitting in the press box, like I can at least, like I can, I can uh, justify Heinen at one million dollars, like sure, like would I like him in there? Yeah, but he hasn't played well, so it's easier to swallow that he's not in the lineup. Capping at three point two five million, just sitting in the press box, like yeah. that's that's so bad. That is so bad. Such a bad contract. It was, it was a contract that shouldn't have been signed. And honestly, you should have seen this coming if if you were Hextall. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's not just this year. Like if it was. One year, even at that salary, I'd be like, what the heck are we doing? But at least it would just have been, you know, one year, like a prove it thing. I, I don't even know how you prove it because he was coming off a down year. But <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I have no answers for what the logic was in him getting that contract. But it is there wasn't predictably not working out. Yeah, there wasn't. There was no logic. But Whatever. There's three games this week uh, for the for the Penguins until till our next show. That is, um, mm-hmm. so the the Penguins will be taking on the Golden Knights. Uh, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, it will be today. Um, and then they will also be taking on the St. Louis Blues on Saturday and the Columbus Blue Jacks next Tuesday. So we will be recording on Wednesday of next week. That seems to be happening a lot. They're having they're playing on Tuesdays and not playing Wednesdays. So yeah, we're recording on Wednesdays. Yeah. Um, as mentioned at the beginning of the show, and I will mention at the end of the show as well, you will see a couple of GoFundMe links in the description wherever you are watching or listening to this. One is for Rocking Around the 412, um, which is our yearly Christmas mission. We've been doing it. This is year five. We've raised now very close to $24,000 since its inception in 2018 with a mission of providing Christmas to families in the 724 and 412 areas. Tyler and I never had to worry about Christmas when we were growing up. We were very blessed um, to be in the positions that we were in. And uh, yeah, always had wonderful Christmases. So the mission of this thing is to make sure that as many families as possible, we can provide that type of Christmas to uh, with donations from you guys. So anybody watching or listening to the show can get involved by clicking that link, donating to the cause. You will see the pictures, the full mission statement right there on GoFundMe. You can type in rocking around the 412. But if you're watching or listening to this, the link is literally going to be right there anyway. So kind of pointless for me to tell you somewhere else to, to go to do it, but it's also our pinned tweet. You might Twitter. as well click on it. If you want to know. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, we're all there. If you guys watch this on YouTube, you'll see that scrolling at the bottom. We're also on Facebook. Um, subscribe wherever you are watching or listening to this. Leave us a five-star review, yada, yada, yada. But also one of the rocking around the 412 uh, kids that we're going to take care of, Isla Keen, the two-year-old daughter of one of my friends, Dalton Keen, who passed away tragically in October. Um there's obviously going to be a ton of burden that that comes with that. So we can't help out with with most of that. The part that we can help out with is the financial aspect that that family is going through. And uh, that was the mission of this GoFundMe. It's raised over $33,000. You guys can get involved by going to that Isla Keen Future Fund. Uh, the link to that is also sitting right in front of you, wherever you're watching or listening to this. You can get involved. Read the story there. Um Dalton was was a great guy, a great father. He loved that little girl, and she deserves everything that, that we can provide um, now that he is no longer here to do so. So can't thank you guys enough um, for getting involved with both of those. Um, I think that's it. Yep. We're getting close. By the time you guys are watching and listening to this, it will be December 1st. It will be. So. And happy birthday, Megan. That's my older sister. That's her birthday, December 1st. Oh, happy birthday, Megan. Does she watch or listen to the show? Probably not. Probably not. She's not really uh, that much into sports. She likes she likes going to sporting events, but following it along as much. Her husband, though, me- Bowen, Bowen, who has no connection to Pittsburgh growing up, he's like a full-fledged Pittsburgh fan now for like all the sports. So There we go. Big fan. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Um, didn't you say, though, you used to just – doesn't she have jerseys, though? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be what you would buy them? Yeah, so she ha- she's got jerseys. It's not that she's not into sports. She likes watching sports. Like she likes watching. I would say hockey's her favorite sport to like go to yeah. and watch and everything. Um, and then like, she'll like watch the Steelers and everything. It's just she's not like quite into it like 
some others are. Like, I would say she's a lot more casual of a fan. Okay. I would say, well, if you're comparing it to us, like nobody's going to be in. That's why. That's why I said some others because I didn't really know what to say because <laughs> it's like I, I can't yeah. really compare it to us or a lot of other people that we interact with. So not quite yeah. the same. Um, but all right. Can't thank you guys enough for watching or listening. Hope everybody had a very nice Thanksgiving as well. Should mention that. We wish you guys a happy Thanksgiving on the last episode, but we wish you guys had a nice Thanksgiving on this one. Um, let us know what you want to see in the comments. Like I said, like, subscribe, five-star review, all that good stuff. Get involved with the GoFundMes. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Around the 412. We'll see you guys next week after the Steelers beat the Falcons. The Penguins win three games in a row, and the Pirates are major players in free agency. Until then... Bye-bye.